Joined in Four Stream Studio by my co-host John Mark Darrow and Jonathan Haves. How are you guys doing today, dude? I'm I'm doing really really well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I really really am. I'm just in a good place, man. Jonathan's got a big smile on his face. I don't know. I don't, I'm just trying to live in the moment, guys. Yeah, I'm, live I'm, in the present. <laughs> I'm trying to you know not uh not begrudge myself of of just doing good right now. My um. Uh, as you know, things were a little difficult as this year began. Uh, I was not in the greatest of headspaces. I shared that publicly. I yeah. been in a bad season of depression, and the, the elders came alongside me. A lot of friends came alongside me and helped me put together a plan. We've been working the steps, and man, I'm in a really good headspace. It's awesome. Not only that, uh, you know, I started having back trouble again uh, when we were on the uh, pastoral staff retreat, and yeah. I've been doing physical therapy. And my back is, I mean, I'm not, I'm not back to hundred percent by any means yet. I got a long road to go, but like I can sit in this chair. Oh. Yeah. So thanks to your physical therapist, partially, right? You talked a little bit about that on Sunday. Yeah. I told, I told her her name's Beth. Beth. And so now, now I'm going to physical therapy when we finish this. I told her, I, I mentioned her in my sermon on Sunday. Now I'm going to tell her I talked about her in our midweek podcast. <laughs> we need to bring Beth on for sure. Let's bring Beth on to talk about dry needling. <laughs> I mentioned that on Sunday. Do y'all know what this is? Yeah, totally. I'm really up on dry needling. No, right. what is that? I have no idea. So, Jamie, have you heard of this? I think you told me about it, I feel like. Is this what you told us about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's, I mean, think acupuncture. I think everybody's mm-hmm. more familiar with that. Which, uh, but, but acupuncture, so this is what I understand. from well, a- After she did it the first time, I, I asked, what's the difference between that and acupuncture? Mm-hmm. Acupuncture, she said, is like soft tissue, surface level. This, they go deep. I didn't know this until after they had done it. She said they they put the needle all the way to bone. Oh, my gosh. Like, so these the needles. needles touching the bone. My spine. Yeah, my vertebrae. Okay. The lamina. Um, starting to get uncomfortable. Yeah, oh, I was well, like, I'm, I'm starting to I'd, sweat. glad I didn't know that till afterwards. But, yeah, they put them in deep, and then they put an electrical current through it. Like you, uh, I'm sure, like, playing sports, you probably had, like, a TENS unit attached to you at some point. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Or they do the little electrical pulses. The thing that came to mind was that ab device that you could stick on your stomach <laughs> and you get six, like just shook? you get six pack abs in a few weeks if you put that on your stomach and just no, sit no. at home and eat chips. A tins unit, they put they put those little pads on you and put electricity through no, the muscles yeah. and make them twitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's For like sure. that, but it's crazy. But deep. So they're doing like the yeah. muscles that are right around the disc on my, my spine that's messed up to try and be, wake those muscles up to do their job. Anyway, yeah, it's nuts. I've had it yeah. done three times now. Jonathan, uh, did you get anything special for Holly for Mother's Day? Uh, oh, wow. It, I got to tell you guys, I did a lot better this year than I did last year. Um, I never told you all about – we don't have time. <laughs> Ask me sometime, and I'll okay. tell you about the debacle of last year. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. It could be an, an episode. Uh, but this year I got uh, – 
I got Holly an ice cream maker because that's what she wanted. An ice cream. Everybody maker. thinks that's for me. Oh, like just to do homemade ice cream. Yeah, but um, is it like the kind you like put the you add the salt and all that? No, stuff? no, 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 okay. no. She wanted this, this. I didn't know. I thought that was the only thing that existed. Okay, me too. Yeah. So, so they like make science it, class. They make them where you don't class? have to use the ice and the oh. salt. Um, and uh, and that's what she wanted. So that's what I got. And so did you make any ice cream? I think it's getting made tonight. Okay. Um, wow. Vanilla, chocolate. What are you guys trying? I, 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 I don't. Rocky know. Road. I don't cookies know. Cookies and cream. Oh wow. Um, getting real fancy. But yeah, because you the the bowl that you make it in, like you have to stick it in the freezer for like twenty four hours or longer mm. or something like that. You have to freeze the bowl. Like that's what kind of serves serves as the substitute for the that's ice. Cool. Mm. So. Fun stuff. That's awesome. Um, I'll report back, gentlemen. Yeah, let me know, please. I'm definitely interested in that. I got Ashley uh, an illustration done by Rachel Walski, actually. Wow. That's very thoughtful. It's a family illustration. Um, She's done one for us before. That was before we had Zion, and so I wanted to get one with the four of us now. And she, just for public note... Uh, she doesn't really do the family illustrations anymore, but she did. She did them for me. <laughs> Made an exception for you. So very, wow. very exclusive. Yeah, very exclusive. situation. This you can't is, just get that. This right. is funny because Holly, when she first told me about, oh, this ice cream maker, it's really cool. I'd like it. She learned of it through Rachel Wonski. See, there's so I text wow. Rachel to ask about like what should I buy. So really, the question is, Brad. How did Rachel help you find a Mother's Day gift for Jordan, who clearly needs something because of Oxford? Wait a second. This is not a joke. For Jordan's birthday, (laughs) Rachel gifted her an illustration of Oxford. Jordan took that illustration, put it on a coffee cup, and gave it to her mom for Mother's Day. This is Inception. (laughs) No! I don't, Rachel, I don't know if you listen to Midweek, but it's time oh. to write in midweek at chasevalley.org. That is no this is, joke. This is special. Ev- right everybody here. needs to know that we did not plan we what just we happened. Plan we did not plan None of us knew about that until this exact moment. None of us knew. That's the. I think we're done. I think that's the whole episode, wow. guys. That was incredible. Praise God. Oh, my word. Well, that's cool. I don't, I don't think we have anywhere to go from there except to maybe. Uh, an album of the week or something yeah, like that? That'd be good. That'd be good. James album of the week. All right. JM's album of the week. I'm really excited this week. You know, last week it was just I just kind of phoned it in. You know, it wasn't it wasn't anything that special, but I'm really excited about this week. So the album for this week Wait, what was the album last week? Well, it was that Billy Eilish single, remember? Oh. And I was just sort well, of no like No offense to Billy Eilish. <laughs> and no, but it was Oh, that's it was right. You were trying to figure it out. That's it right. It was that's more right. directed at It's not about Billy. What I was saying was was more directed at me because I was in yeah. there like searching while we were recording the okay. episode. Okay, yeah, yeah. I listened yeah, to yeah, that for sure, for sure. I listened to that single by the way. It's heavy, dude. Yeah, it is. It's it very is. heavy. It is. Oh, yeah. So, uh this album has been uh, presented to me by a few different friends of mine. Uh, a friend of mine named Adam Wesley, who I've played some music with, told me about this record, and he actually was like, uh, this guy's doing a show soon with Wilder Atkins, and so the show happened like recently, in, somewhere in Birmingham or in Alabama, what? I'm not sure. Uh, and I, d- I had not listened to the album or anything up to that point, 
So I was like, oh, dude, that's awesome. Like, I'm glad you're going to that. It was like a like a house show type situation. Uh, but the guy's name is Andy Squires. He's a singer-songwriter, um, and he has a record out called Poet Priest. It came out in 2021. I believe this is his second full length because as Jonathan and I were talking before we started this podcast, he's got a record called Cherry Blossom. Is that right? Yeah, Jonathan? yeah. I think that one's got like eight tracks or something. Okay. Uh, so anyways, man, I started listening to this album. So I actually went to, uh, there's a story connected to this, but I went to John Ball's house on uh, Saturday night because we were celebrating his birthday and he was playing this album and I had not heard it yet. He was just, it was just kind of in the background. And I was like, whoa, this is really freaking good. What is this? And he was like, it's that Andy Squires guy I've been telling you about. I was like, oh my gosh, I need to listen to this now. I'd, I'd put it off. So on Sunday, I had it playing and spinning at my house all day long. This album is beautiful. Uh, the guy that produced it, his name is Elijah Mosley. He's done some stuff with John Mark McMillan. Um, so there's some crossover there because uh, Andy Squires reminds me a little bit of John Mark McMillan. Yeah, um, yeah. I found a video where he opened for him. Yes. Huh. Yeah, so they, they must be like, they, they have some connections. because I think Andy Squires is maybe from North Carolina. And so I think there's just a lot of connection there between those two guys. But this record is, I mean... To say that it's strong, honestly, would be like an understatement. Like, there's almost no way to put it. And Jonathan's been been listening to it a lot this week, yeah, too. Yeah, you told me about it earlier this week, and I just played it in the background, like, yeah. like while I studied for a little bit. And I knew I already liked it musically, but it was only right. within the last 48 hours that I yeah. really got to, like, pay attention to it lyrically. And good night. <laughs> like, it's just... It's so strong. There are points yeah. of it that are brutal. Yeah. And just gut wrenching, honest. And then there's just points that just explode with beauty. I mean, like it Yeah. I'm I'm in love with it right now. I really, really am. Yeah, I mean he's he's covering a lot of themes here. There's like confession and there's repentance and there's like doubt and like wrestling yeah. with your faith and well, struggling I, with your faith. Well, and I I, mean, I think part of the reason it's connecting with me so much is because we're in the Psalms right now. And like yeah. it's very Psalms like. It is. Um, even in the midst of these songs that are like heavy on lament and doubt, but then he'll like bring in this phrase where it's like clearly he's still clinging to the Lord and he's still trusting the Lord, but it's not in any kind of glib or trite way. Like there's this one, I forget which song it is, but like the the lyric basically talks about how his love is still there, but it's like a whisper. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, it's just, yeah. oh, goodness. Yeah, I was actually going to read, uh, so before we started this uh, episode, Jonathan was playing a song off this record called Kingfisher. I can play a little bit of it here just love. so everybody can hear this. When I get where I'm going I will lend a steady hand Build a little cabin Dig a river through the land We can just listen to this for the rest of the time. Right. Does a pilgrim tremble When he finally finds a home When the rock bestows the water And binds the broken bone I go out walking in the forest to a place I've seen A fountain flowing like a highway running through my dreams Yeah, so that song, so I was actually going to read, there's another verse that I just wanted to read. Please read it. Okay, 
Listen to this. This is, man, because what I did was, Jonathan, kind of the same with you. It wasn't the last, like, 24 hours, 48 hours that I was sitting on my computer with the lyrics pulled up, yeah. and I was reading through them while I was listening. Yeah. Uh, because this isn't really like an – if you really want to take in this album, you really have to, like, read along and, and kind of oh, hear what he's saying. Yeah, it, it's got to mm-hmm. be like you treated albums when you were, like, in middle school, high school. Like, you yeah. sit down, and all you're right. doing is listening. Yeah, it's like any, like, you know, like a Bob Dylan or a Leonard Cohen record is just, like, rich of – lyrically rich so anyways he's got this one verse that says on that song when i get where i'm going guns are hammered into plows which which is a biblical illusion there's biblical illusions all over the place but he updates it because the biblical illusion is swords Swords, will be hammered into plows and so yeah guns are hammered into plows promises we made to war turn into broken vows oh my gosh faithful is the spirit our troubles to employ the bread of our affliction returning to us joy. Come on, so, Andy. Man, man. I th- this album's just incredible. I highly recommend it. I really do. Like this has been a really it's it's like I said, it is like a challenging listen lyrically, sure. but it's but it is like very like inspiring and uplifting too at the same time. And I just there's just many moments where I'm just going, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there. So, um, that song "King Fisher" is actually, I think, one of the more uplifting songs. Yeah, on the, yeah. On the, there yeah. are some I told the guys earlier. King David they, of Silicon Valley. Oh gosh, there there are some I told the guys earlier where I'm like, I just want to kind of give him a hug afterwards. I'm like, you need a hug, man. Um, the, very intense. Oh, uh, the opening track, "Dead Horse." It, oh, oh man, yeah, but it's yeah. so that's good. where I'm at because I started listening. I have a three minute drive to work, <laughs> right. so I'll listen to that song and then I get back in the car and I want to listen to it again. So that's where I'm at, and it's incredible. My, it's so intense. My other favorite tracks are uh, "Love Never Fails," um, which sounds like it's going to be this like just totally uplifting, massive <laughs> worship anthem, and it has elements of that. But ooh, it's mm, you just got to hear it. I um, definitely kind of want to do "You Bring the Morning" on a Sunday morning. I think that's that's the most oh, like it, if there's any song on there that's applicable to a more congregational setting it would be that one. Oh, dude, so we'll see if we can pull that the one line in that song about you bring the stillborn, the stillborn baby to baby. my shoulder. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's mm. so many moments where I just wanted to break down. Um Yeah, so yeah. a quick I I feel like we need to have uh an album breakdown episode. We all need to take this in for another we could. That would be for, awesome. uh, for totally. another couple of weeks and then we'll have an album breakdown. We'll get episode. we'll get him on the podcast. Yes. I think I bet we could. For sure. So, anyways, and then he can explain how horribly we've misunderstood. Right, <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's Andy Squire's poet priest. Go check that out. All right, Brad. That's amazing. You got a book this week? I just might. Lovely. The book that I have for Bradford's book club this week is a book that's near and dear to my heart by Andy Crouch. Have you guys ever read anything or interacted with Andy Crouch at all? It's it's yes. just a big week for Andy's apparently. It is. Got Very Andy, good. Got Andy Crouch. Got Andy. How do you say his last name? Squires. Squires. I believe. Squires. Yeah. Andy's are all over the place today. 
I was trying to think of another Andy. I couldn't. <laughs> Andy Stanley. Andy, Andy, Br- Andy Bernard. Andy Montgomery, our own Andy. Andy right? Montgomery. Yeah. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. Um, but he is, he was the executive ed- editor of Christianity Today. I don't think he is anymore, but he's written several books, uh, Strong and Weak, Playing God, Culture Making is another book that he's written that I really love. It's a very thoughtful reflection about how Christians engage and interact in culture. But this book is The TechWise Family, Everyday Steps for Putting Technology in Its Proper Place. And I first found out about this book because I was listening to a lecture that he was giving. And I was so struck by the lecture and what he was saying about technology and the way that he was bringing up his kids and teaching them about how to have a healthy relationship with their devices, with screens. And I was convicted and I was challenged, but he goes beyond simply putting limits on screen time and has a reflection really on what do you want your home to be like? What do you want to do together as a family in your home? And so I think this would be a phenomenal book for a husband and wife to get to read together. If you have kids that are teenagers, read it with your kids. The Ford is actually written by his daughter, who talks about growing up in a tech-wise home. Which she's written a companion volume now. Yes. To the book. Yes, um, and I, the which name I haven't is, read, but I don't know. I my TechWise Life? Is my that what tech it's called? My TechWise something. Yeah. Is it My TechWise Life? Oh, Maybe gosh. Not. I think I should it's have close. It if you <laughs> type in TechWise. I literally have it on my bookshelf, and I don't even know what it is because I haven't read it yet. Yes. So, uh, highly recommend it. Check it out. Andy Crouch, The TechWise family everyday steps for putting technology in its proper place you can read it while listening to andy crouch's uh king david of silicon valley (laughs) andy squires squires (laughs) Squires, my bad hey i was gonna say real quick about that book i know we've gone long on this whole thing but isn't it that book that has like this uh what does he say he's like it's as far as screen time goes yeah he's got this thing that's like they they uh, put their screens away for one hour every day. Yes. One day every week. Yes. And one week out of the year. Yes. Is that right? Okay. Yes. I was doing that from memory. I yes. was trying to. That's a that's a pattern that he's incorporated into his family's life. Right. They also do not allow screens in the bedroom. So one of okay. his rules, if you will, is that devices go to bed before we go to bed. Right. Um, and so and, that's and something that they've incorporated. Didn't they not have television for a long time? Or did they he, ever have TV? I think he has a TV in his house. This is interesting. He said that in his living room, he wanted the living room to center around conversation. He mm-hmm. wanted the living room to center around creativity. Mm-hmm. So they would have a table where kids could draw and write. Yeah. He had a piano, and the piano was in the living room. He had other instruments that were there, things that the family could do together, things that were encouraging creativity. And then I think he – it sounds like he had a movie room. So it was a different room in the house. Because he – 
He loves movies. Yeah. Right, right, right. Right, exactly, yeah. So uh, a room where they could go and watch movies, but it wasn't the central thing in the house. Yeah. So that that, is, that's what he did. That is my bucket list. Like, I one day, maybe when the kids move out of the house, they're old and, and – it's just me and Ashley. I want a movie room. That's just that's just all I want. In my yes, life. <laughs> it's really it's all I need. That's it. It's, it's, it's it. just what I need. Anyways, well, yeah. So that's awesome. But once again, these are the way he approaches in the book. I think is so helpful. Is he isn't just trying to shame people with his rules and say you need to follow this, but it's rather to get you to reflect on your own patterns and behaviors and how screens affect your life and, and your family's life. So, great book. Check it out. And Andy Crouch, check him out. If you if you're not yeah. gonna read the book, go to YouTube and type in Andy Crouch, Techwise Family. Something will come up, I'm sure. <laughs> All right, let's take a trip down to the email corridor. Sounds sounds good. So last week, speaking of social media, this is a great, great segue. Last week, uh, or maybe it was two weeks ago actually, it was your episode, I believe. We did a lightning round and we were talking about like Instagram, TikTok, what we prefer. And I think one thing we mentioned was like, yeah, you remember like back in the day when people always used to just do latte art, you know, and now it's like everything's like very like personal, like social and all that stuff. Well, Ed Hart, who's a big time listener of the show, wrote into us. Oh, wow. In response to this. Well, please share. Okay. So the subject title is latte art on Instagram. Fear not. There are still people Doing important and amazing work with latte art on Instagram. And then he sent us a link. It is at abstract underscore latte. Um, and so... Uh, Have you been to this account yet? I did go to it, so I hope he's not embarrassed that I'm telling everybody. I mean, he sent it to us. Yeah. No, it's... So it's if he sent it to us, I'm now. assuming... Yeah, I mean, it's out anyway. It's not like it's a private, but it is uh, really funny. <laughs> and it's it's clearly just, just him doing some latte art and taking pictures of that. So thank you, That's thank you, great. Ed, for that. Ed, that was kind of fun. Contribution. That was kind of fun to really to go and that. check out one afternoon. So. You know, and it's funny because I don't think I agree with anything that I said about social media <laughs> last week. So now I got the chance to say that I feel oh, better about myself. Oh, uh, one other thing he mentioned in the email. Uh, he also left us some hashtags in the email. <laughs> Hashtag shades midweek. Hashtag not political. In parentheses, most of the time, hashtag meet a member with Brad was okay. Uh, hashtag COVID brain because he had COVID. So, I think he was catching up on Shades Midweek while his family had coronavirus. Touche, Ed. Touche. <laughs> well, we didn't get an email, but we did have another listener reach out about some things that were discussed during that episode, and that would be Tanisha Garnier. Oh, that's um, great. What'd she have to say? She reached out to me through the old Marco Polo. Oh, yes. And uh, and sent Shades Midweek a message. She had two things to say. Um, okay. One was, uh, Bradford, she had a bone to pick with you about <laughs> uh, your your liking of The Wire TV oh, show. Wow. So now I actually oh, wow. played this uh, Marco Polo video for the guys earlier, so they've heard it. I'm prepared. But uh, she said, just for all of our listeners, uh, Tanisha said that from her recollection, uh, when she on an episode way long time ago, I believe it was episode eight. I looked it up. I did the research. Eight. We did. Some re- we had our team research either here. seven or eight. Yeah, she sent in uh, some desert island picks, and one of her television shows she picked was The Wire, and she said that. The three of us all said we had never seen it, so she was shocked to hear Brad, you know, the other week claim it was one of his favorites. So, Brad, were you lying, 
you know, back then, or were you lying now? Defend yourself. Explain yourself. Explain yourself. Yes. So at first, I had no idea what I said at the time. And uh, uh, upon going back and listening to the clip, it's clear that in the clip, now this is going to be widely debated. People are going to write articles about this. Here's what, sure. I'll, here's what I'll do, Brad. I'll insert the clip right here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, the, and The Wire. The Wire? I haven't yeah, watched Brad. The Wire. I mean, people say The Wire is one of the greatest <laughs> shows on TV. I've heard I that. I can't speak. Tanisha apparently I can't speak from so. experience. Yes. So, what you can clearly hear <laughs> right, from the clip is sarcasm. Okay. I don't want to get into a big conversation about speech act theory and what words do and how words are used in context, but you can look it up. It's very important. I was using sarcasm at the time I had seen The Wire and I was pretending like I hadn't because maybe there's a little shame or something. I need to explore that. I need to investigate that. But that's talk, I'm, talk to your therapist about that. That's bro. right. But I I'm I am I'm not, not. <laughs> Oh where John Mark just played that sound effect. We had no idea that was coming. That's fantastic. Wow. Speaking of feeling shamed. <laughs> That's what we're about. That's what we're about here. Yes. Um, the other Just to thing, clear that up. The other thing that Tanisha <laughs> mentioned was uh, we talked about the fact that we anticipate there someday at some point being an all-wives episode. Oh, right. Uh, right. That's uh, right. Shades Midweek. So, Which uh, just instantly stresses me out. I have so, just, <laughs> so Ashley. Why is Ashley, that, John Mark? I just don't know what they're going to say. I have no idea what's going to be said. Oh. So so Ashley, Jordan, and Holly, we are, we're going to turn the booth over to them at some point, let them do an, an episode with without any of us in the room. And, do uh, we want to talk about what her suggestions were for the name of the episode? I, I don't episode? know if she wants us to release okay. them now or but Oh wow. She gave okay. us uh okay. she gave us name suggestions for what that episode should be titled and guys, I I think we should roll with one of those. I liked both of them. Okay. I don't know. I'm a little critical of Tanisha right now. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, that was a trip down to the email corridor. Yeah. Well, Piggybacking off of our episode from last week with Dr. Doug Webster, if you haven't heard that one, definitely go check it out. It was a great, great episode. We covered a number of topics. We talked about his new book, um, or his most recent book, I should say. Um, but one of the the themes that he hit upon, we had talked about maybe revisiting that, and, and it was actually an episode that we had tried to record once before, and in the midst of us recording it, I believe we were 30 or 45 minutes in, uh, I went into the control room to check on something and realized that there was no audio coming into the <laughs> recording software at all. So we lost that episode and we just, it, it was one of those things where it was like, well, I don't know if we can like, you know, do that again right away. So we, we waited. So Jonathan, why don't you tell us about what we're talking about today? Yeah. I mean, for our dedicated listeners who remember, we, we talked about that. Actually, we talked about it on an episode like we lost an entire episode and we promise we'll get back to it eventually. That's true. Here we are. Yes. It took us like six Dedic- months. Dedicated listeners will know. <laughs> but, right. but, but here we are. So what, what, what happened was uh, it was actually the episode of Shades midweek um, after 
I'm trying to th- I'm trying to think of the timeline exactly. So January sixth, the riot at the Capitol happened. Right. Um, and then that Sunday was like January tenth or eleventh or something like that. And I uh, talked about that uh, at the very beginning of my sermon. And then we recorded the Shades midweek episode that we lost. That's um, right. And there were some statements, because there were some statements that I had made specifically concerning political idolatry, cult of personality, those kinds of things, that I wanted to unpack a little bit more uh, on the Shades midweek episode. And after we lost that episode, we already had other things lined up and different things going on. And so, but this just felt like a good time to be able to revisit that because uh, Dr. Webster, both when he was when he was a guest preacher here, uh, revisited mm-hmm. some of those themes, and then we were able to talk with him about some of it last week as well. So I was like, "There's ever this is as good a time as any. This is it, and it may be a little shorter uh, than it originally was because there are whole." Uh, pieces of that episode like there was an entire section of that episode where we were talking about revelation because we just finished that series obviously that's all kind of like right. irrelevant at this point but uh basically there were two primary quotes um that i took from the sermon uh and i'll read them now uh that i just wanted to kind of unpack a little bit more and uh we can unpack these talk about them uh banter them back and forth because even though we're uh more far removed from uh, both what happened in January and also from a presidential election cycle, it's not like uh, politics have quit being a part of our life and world and conversation. And these are important things for us to discuss and think about, even when they're not the front burner hot topic issue. Yeah, um, sometimes that can be better. Yeah. And uh, and it's important, I think. Uh, I, I think there are a lot of Christians who are very confused about how their faith relates to political engagement um, or sure. does it relate to political engagement? And, and that's something I want uh, to do a good job helping shades with in uh, pastoring shades, regardless of where you end up on certain policies or whatever. Uh, I, I want you to be able to think theologically about how your faith should and should not relate to politics. So, Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first kind of topic area really is political idolatry and clarifying the difference between political convictions and political idolatry. So here's the, here's the quote from the sermon uh, back in January. I said, uh, there is a massive difference between political convictions that govern the way you vote and political idolatry that governs the one you worship. Hmm. Massive difference between political convictions that govern the way you vote and political idolatry that governs the one you worship. So to just unpack that a little bit more. So, so having political convictions means that you firmly hold to particular policies. Uh, so you have a particular economic policy that you subscribe to or hold to or immigration policy or whatever. You, you've got these positions that you think this is what's best for the country and you you hold tightly to those. Uh, or having political convictions may mean you have a particular platform uh, regarding whole host of issues or uh, that you're a member of a particular party. Yeah. And, and, and these convictions are weighed in determining how you vote in any given election cycle. So I'm weighing the issues, I'm thinking through them, and this is helping me decide how I'm voting for who, what candidate I'm voting for, all the way from national elections down to local. I mean, we've talked about the fact that, like, 
in a lot of local level uh, elections, you're not dealing with political parties. And so you got to weigh the issues, you know. Mm-hmm. So this is this is what it means to have political convictions. And I think we would say posting about these political convictions online in a loving, compassionate way that invites dialogue is something that I think we would all encourage. Mm-hmm. Yes, with the caveat <laughs> that uh, online is not generally a place that invites good dialogue <laughs> and, right. and nuance. Um, I don't know your experience, Jonathan. <laughs> oh, but but yeah, I mean, I, one of the things I, I talked about this past Sunday um, was the fact that something that should be distinct about Christians, no matter what we're talking about, uh, is how we talk about these things. You know, so if we're talking about politics, you know, whatever, right, left, middle, whatever, how we talk should be different. Right. We should have what Colossians calls speech seasoned with salt. It It's different. That's a different flavor. Mm-hmm. It sticks out. And what's different about it? I, I quoted from First Peter where he tells us that uh, we need to be ready to make a defense of our faith, yet always with gentleness and respect, mm-hmm. which would be very different um, right. in the, the current uh, cultural dialogue. You know? Right. Totally. So, so I, even Christians who disagree with one another, if you have a discussion online while the world is watching with gentleness and respect, that would be different. Totally. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think I've talked about in sermons before seeing conversations between two Christians, and one Christian actually apologized and said, I'm so sorry I misunderstood your position. Here's my uh, email. Let's talk more about that. It was amazing. You, you said the word apologize. I don't understand, Brad. Yes. You mean I they didn't, didn't just block just each other? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so so this is what we mean when we say political conviction. So how's that different from political idolatry? Well, and I think this distinction is important because sometimes we've experienced people come up to us after a sermon and they interpreted what we were saying as attacking political convictions. Right. And that's not what mm. we're trying to do. Right. Mm. That's not what you were trying to do that Sunday. Right. No, for sure. I, I, I'm after, you know, I, I'm wanting to protect us from political idolatry, which if our journey through Revelation taught us anything, should teach us that is a massive, massive issue that the church throughout history has been warned against and is so susceptible to. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, for um, sure. so I've got three markers, or in other words, th- three kind of identifying things that you're li- that that can be like, okay, if I start doing this, I have moved from the realm of political conviction into the realm of political idolatry. What's behind door number one? So behind door number one, um, political idolatry happens when we begin to look at those policies, parties, or politicians as the hope to fix or save our nation. Mm -hmm. It happens when we begin to look at these things as the hope to fix or save our nation. In other words, like at at, at the point that we begin to set up these different things as, as if they're like the savior and our devotion to them reaches a religious level like this, this is a problem. And you know, you've reached a religious level with your devotion when you lose the ability to critique like mm. I don't critique Jesus. <laughs> I worship Jesus. Okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um I fall before him, I bow before him. Every human ever 
is imperfect, which means every human institution ever is imperfect. That includes the church. The church is not beyond critique. We critique the church all the time. We critique our own church all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, all of these things are are imperfect and therefore affected by sin. Um, that that doesn't mean we don't think that certain institutions or policies are better than others, but it does mean that we keep a realistic view of all of these things. We recognize they can be critiqued. They can be made better. None of them can provide ultimate salvation. Um, and, and so that's why, like, like, politics is a dialogue. It's a conversation. It, it, and everybody, it, it feel, when, when you start venturing into this realm of looking at things um, like they're the ultimate savior, you, you start putting a period on the end of the conversation. It's like if I get my candidate, my policy, my platform, my whatever in position, that accomplishes ultimate salvation, conversation over, everything's perfect and fixed. And that just doesn't exist. Like, even if you got everything accomplished, your candidate, your party, your platform, the conversation keeps going because mm-hmm. life is dynamic and the situation's always changing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. We, we just begin to look at things as if they bring ultimate salvation we can't critique them anymore. At that point, yeah, we're headed into political idolatry. Mm. Door number two. Yep. Behind door number two, we venture into political idolatry when we begin to hold a hold to a party orthodoxy stronger than Christian orthodoxy. In other words, what I mean is like Christianity no longer shapes my politics. My politics shape my Christianity. Yeah, uh, that's or, a big one. Yeah, or an, another way you could talk about this is like people aren't heretical for denying core Christian doctrines. They're heretical for denying party policies. Mm-hmm. So like um, there, there's a sense, and I mean, you want to see how politics in our culture has risen to the level of a religious fervor, which makes sense, by the way, which makes sense for non-religious people, for people who don't have... Uh, a god like they're going to look to some type of human institution in order to bring the salvation that we all hope for they're going to put their hope there they're going to put their stock there um and they're going to develop an orthodoxy and there's a sense in which like uh, if you want to see the level to which our politics have risen to a, a level of religion um they hold to a stricter orthodoxy and are more ready to excommunicate members than the church is Mm-hmm. Like, here's our party platform, basically our statement of faith. Yep. You must agree and check off all the boxes. And if you deny or disagree on one thing, so let's say you were a Democrat and you agreed on everything except sanctity of life issues. You can't do that. Like, you will be shamed, shunned, forced out. Let's say mm-hmm. you're a Republican and you agree on everything except immigration. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. You'll be shamed. You'll be shunned. You'll be, you know, all, all of that. Like there's a party orthodoxy and, and Christians have ventured into being guilty of this. Like, I think the Christian position on issues A, B, and C is this. And so if you don't tow this political party line, mm-hmm. that becomes my measure of Christian orthodoxy. And yeah, faithfulness. Yeah. And that, that's a, a scary place to be because your your political party is becoming your church at that point. Hmm. Um, don't get me wrong. I do think that there are certain issues that all Christians should agree on. But the interesting thing is we can even agree 
on certain issues and disagree on what that therefore then means should take place regarding policy. Mm-hmm. Easy example, immigration. Uh, all Christians should agree that we should love the immigrant. Like that's that's a that's clear in Scripture. There's there's no conversation there. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean we won't differ on what we think immigration policy should look like. You know, um, yeah. So that that's what I mean by by that. But but when you start making the level of Christian orthodoxy a, a particular immigration policy, well, now we're venturing into political idolatry. Yeah. So, Jonathan, how do you think people uh, get sucked into that? How do you think people uh, slide into seeing politics and their faith in that way? Is this something that happens overnight? Is this something that happens over time? Well, I mean, I think there's a couple of entry points, um, honestly. Uh, and some of them, I think, uh, I think you can be preloaded to head in this direction. And what I mean by that is you can actually embrace, there are certain theological positions that people embrace that I think predispose you to end up doing this, mm-hmm. this type of thing. Hmm. Um, I'll talk about that a little bit more in just a second. Okay. Um, but then there's also a, uh, a discipleship factor that can end up shaping you over the long term to think this way. Uh, and we've talked about this a lot. So whatever you are consuming, just the most of constantly, whatever you're giving over the shaping of your heart and affections to, that's what's discipling you. Hmm. And that doesn't have to be the church or Jesus or another uh, Christian or what it, it can be social media. It can be the news. It can be your family. It can be, it can be whatever. Yeah. But I do think that um, for a lot of Christians that are kind of getting sucked into, that get sucked into political idolatry, which let's, let's be clear. There's, there's not necessarily just this, you're either committing political idolatry or you're not there. There is that line sometimes, but there is also the sense in which we can talk about all of us do this at some point. Totally. Mm-hmm. You know, like, well, it, that's what I was going to say. Have you ever heard somebody confess political idolatry? <laughs> you know, I've heard people talk about making money an idol. I've heard people talk about making success an idol. I've heard people talk about making relationships an idol. Can you remember a time where you had a conversation with someone where they said, I feel like I'm putting my faith in politics. Hmm. I don't think I have. I was <laughs> I was trying yeah. to think about it. Right. Yeah. Which which I think is one of the things that makes it so dangerous cuz we're unaware of it. Yeah. Like we're doing it and we're unaware of it. We don't see it that we're doing it. Right. You know. Um and and scripture calls it out. I mean like we talked about with Revelation. Revelation is one big call out uh, uh, you know to the church to to not put your faith and your hope and your trust in Rome. Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah, um, totally. So, so yeah. So I think that like we can be shaped to think this way when we give our discipleship over to a source that's shaping us to think this way. Yeah. So, so in other words, if you're giving your heart over to ultimately be shaped by the news, I don't care what news. the The news doesn't come at you from a biblical perspective. And if you're allowing the news to completely shape you, you're going to be driven to fear of some kind. And you're going to operate out of fear of some kind. You're not going to operate out of a view of trust in the sovereign God overall. Mm. Scripture's going to shape you 
to trust the sovereign God overall. And, and you can, uh, you experience a lot more freedom actually in making your choices about policies and, and, uh, political platforms and all these kind of things that, that, that you, uh, you experience a lot more freedom when you're coming from a place of, I have an ultimate trust of where this whole thing is headed and that God is sovereign and God is in control. Uh, you're mm-hmm. a lot freer to make those kinds of decisions uh, with way less anxiety than yeah. when you're being whipped up into a frenzy by the right or the left or whatever. Uh, right. And you're like, the whole world's going to implode if I don't get this thing done or this person in office or yeah that's that's what i was going to say when you mentioned fear i mean that's immediately what i thought is both of our uh major parties here democrats and republicans are both guilty of that oh yeah they 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 use fear as a way to motivate their base um and so i think a warning sign of some of the things that we're talking about is if you are now operating out of fear of something Mm. that is one way to maybe notice and step back and go what like why am i operating out of fear when it comes to these issues like what's really going on under the surface here that i that i should be thinking about um and you know uh another thing i was going to mention was there's an organization that we've talked about before on this podcast, they wrote a book. Um, it's by the And Campaign. It's called Compassion and Conviction. And I don't know if you were going to mention them at all during this talk, Jonathan. But I, I didn't have it in my notes. Go ahead, though. Yeah, but yeah, I was yeah. just going to say, when it comes to kind of uh, some Christians that talk about politics a lot, they have a podcast called Church Politics. Um, they do a phenomenal job at critiquing both sides, um, which I think is important and also helps you not to give in to partisanship in some way or kind of lead down a path towards like idolatry where you're never critiquing your side because, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's power or policies that you agree with, like you just can't critique them. Um, So they do a great job at that. And they, they talk, they have conversations about this all the time about being indoctrinated Right. Uh, by a political viewpoint. So. Yeah. Everybody is discipling. Everybody is indoctrinating. Everybody, it, it, like, like you know, people talk about, like, the church. Well, I don't want to be indoctrinated by the church, or, you know, I don't want to be indoctrinated by the culture. I don't want to, like, everybody's doing indoctrination because everybody's teaching, and everybody has a telos, a goal. They're aiming at something, you know? Um, and I think that the AND campaign, one of the things I absolutely love about what they do is that whether or not you agree with where they land on stuff, um, they model, I think, really well what we're talking about. Yeah. And and within the end campaign, you've got people that yeah. identify with the Democratic Party and people that identify with right. the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. But all of them are, are Christians whose number one priority is Jesus and the gospel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just it's a different tone yeah. to yeah. the dialogue completely. I mean, speech season with salt. Yeah. That they model that really well. Yes. It's been interesting for me. I think I'm someone that enters into political conversation so often because there is some sort of uh, major controversial situation happening. Sure. And so then I get sucked in and I start reading all the different articles. But in some ways, the way I'm approaching it has already been framed mm. by the news. Mm. And polemics sell. Right. And these hot button issues, they sell. And the more that you can put people 
uh, on the screen that are going to make provocative statements and are going to call out the other side in a way that's rude. That's going to bring more people. That's going to get more clicks. That's going to get more views. Did you hear what so-and-so said? But with the AND campaign, I've been surprised at how many conversations I've been able to enter into that before I might be, uh, I don't know, entering into in a way where I'm already kind of on edge, I'm already geared up, I'm already angry, but through them, I'm able to enter into these conversations in a totally different way, and it changes the way that there's political engagement and involvement. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's that it's it's so it's uniquely Christian, and <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I mean, and distinct. Um, Going back to this, it's not sexy. Um, it doesn't yeah. sell. It doesn't get the clickbait. It doesn't, you right. know. Um, but Christianity's never been sexy, or at least it's not supposed to have been. It's the foolishness of God. It's the weakness of God, you know, that's stronger and wiser than what the world has. One of the problems with people venture into political, this isn't in my notes, but we venture into political idolatry when we become convinced that using the world's tools to get across what we want to get across is the way to make it happen. Yeah. Like, so we do have to be polemical and angry and shout louder and, and whatever. Like, we've got to take yeah. those same tactics. The and ends the, justify the means, yeah, if you will. because yeah. that's what gets things accomplished, where I'm sitting here going, Christianity has always been the kingdom of the mustard seed. Right. It's not powerful. It doesn't look powerful. But that sucker does grow into a tree. It's always been leaven. Right. You know, but it does spread throughout all the wheat like right it, it, you know where we make a difference or where i believe our christian witness makes a difference is not when we get the largest platform the greatest social media following the whatever it's when we have conversations with individuals and they see there's a different way there's a different way to do life a different way to talk about these really important issues a different way and something that comes from a place of love and compassion yet it's still strong it has a conviction there's the end campaign for you compassion and conviction yeah and, and individual like, like individuals begin to grasp onto that and it we have always been a bottom-up movement a ragtag bunch it's it's a group of disciples you know fishermen uneducated whatever's nobodies who freaking turned the world upside down in the first century yeah you know yeah totally you know, it's funny, JM and I were talking about the Ann campaign. Sorry, I felt like I was ranting there. No, that was great. <laughs> that was good. That was a rant. And we were on their Twitter, and I think they have, what, 500 followers? I mean, it's it's, it's, it's not, more than that, but it's not a lot, though. It's not much. You Which know, it's you, like, here's I'm this. I'm sure it's grown. Did you mention the that they I just started a Birmingham cha- uh, chapter? I haven't. They they did start a Birmingham chapter. Um, I believe the Instagram is Beham and Camp. Um, I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, if you want to follow them, it's B Ham and Camp on Instagram. They've actually they did a a prayer and action rally uh, back in April. Um, it was uh, they gathered to pray for a for prison fellowship, uh, which is a nonprofit ministry. Um, so they they do a lot of cool things, and they're they they're just starting to get kind of 
everything together yeah, and ramped up, organized. Um, so definitely keep an yeah. eye on that. But go, go ahead, Brad. Sorry. Well, and that wasn't to criticize the AND campaign at all. <laughs> all I was doing was saying, oh, look, here's this organization where you have people with different political opinions that are Christians coming together with orthodox beliefs, having charitable conversation, right. disagreeing with one another, and nobody cares. <laughs> Yeah, so on Instagram, they have 69,000 followers, which I realize definitely is a lot, but in the grand scheme of things, it's like, you know, that's a, a that's small a, yeah. city. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. So, no, for sure. And well, I, yeah, like I said, I don't use that to disparage that, but it's like, right. man, why aren't more people <laughs> listening to this and paying attention to this? Yeah. So, mm, for sure. Well, behind door number three. <laughs> yes. What yeah, is behind door back, number three? So, so take us back on track. Been talking about how do you know when you're moving into political idolatry? Uh, got one more for us. Door number three uh, is we're committing political idolatry when we are more concerned with political evangelization than gospel evangelization. In other words, when it's more important uh, to me that I convert people to my political party than to the kingdom of God. Mm. I, it, this is one of the things that blows my mind. Like people will talk all the time about being ill-equipped for evangelism or being scared of how people respond to them or, you know, I don't know what to say or whatever, you know, I'll make people angry. And all of those rules like go off the table the moment someone starts talking about their politics. It's like, I don't care if I don't know what to say. I don't care if I make people angry. I don't care. Like I'm going to argue my point kind of thing, yeah. you know? And, and I think that that's, that's evidence that we're moving into political idolatry. Uh, when it, when it's more important to me that my child marries someone who's a member of my political party than if my child's marrying another Christian. Wow. Um, this is, this is all of these are indicators. We're committing political yeah. idolatry that we have equated the kingdom of God with our country. And I said, I said just a few moments ago, I would, I would say something about a, a theology that can predispose us to do this. And this is what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, there are theologies floating around out there in the ether that equate our country with the kingdom of God. And the way they do this mm-hmm. is uh, they envision, these theologies envision America as Israel, especially as they read the Old Testament. Uh, they just, anywhere you read Israel, they just insert America, just equate it right there. So here's an easy one, for instance. Uh, I forget the exact verse. It's in Second Chronicles where the Lord says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will heal their land. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard that thing quoted as if that means... The church in America prays and God's going to heal America. Right, yeah. Devers, they got nothing to do with America. <laughs> Not a thing. Yeah. Um, and Who's, and, and, who's and, it talking about, Jonathan? It's <laughs> talking about Israel. <laughs> but even if you want to take it to its New Testament application, at that point, it's still not talking about America. It's talking right, about yeah. the people of God yeah. who are the people who are connected to the true Israel, Jesus. Yeah. So so here's the deal. Um. The, the the deal is that it, it, there's a confusion of covenants. Dr. Webster talked about this in yeah. his sermon. Yeah. So he talked about how people can read like the uh, uh, the Joshua conquest 
and pick that up and be like, well, that's what we should do now in our context as Christians in America. Uh, I mean, down to the point that they had the rally in D.C. called the Jericho Rally. Or yeah, whatever the Jericho March, I yeah, think, yeah. something mm-hmm. like that. That was exactly doing that. Yeah, 100%. Know? Yeah. And, and no, 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 <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's equating what God's doing with Israel, with our country in America, which there's a long history of that. Um, mm-hmm. So... The uh, if you go back to even some of the Puritans, which I, I love the Puritans. Puritans are my homeboys. Right, like a lot, them. Of, a lot of good stuff. A lot of good stuff. <laughs> but there, uh, there was a tendency early on within the uh, American experiment to envision America as a new promised land, mm. um, as as a new Israel. Yep. A lot of them uh, were post millennialists. To, to throw it all the way back to Revelation, theology <laughs> yeah. matters, people. Theology yeah. matters. Post-millennialists, if you can remember from our episode of the Millennium, uh, are, are people that think it's our job to bring in the Millennium, to bring in the Kingdom of God. So they, they, there's this marriage of the church and state. We, we want to build a Christian nation. That's, that's what we're supposed to do mm-hmm. theologically. And you can see very quickly how that leads you to equate what's going on with your country, with the kingdom of God. Yeah. Well, in the new covenant, the kingdom of God is no longer defined by an ethnic socio-political reality. Uh, Jesus mm-hmm. it fulfills Israel's role. He is the true Israelite. And those who are attached to Jesus by faith are the true Israel. Uh, it is those who are of the faith of Abraham who are the sons of Abraham. Um, and this is not one nation. It's people from all nations. Uh, this is not defined by an earthly, worldly geopolitical unit. It's defined by a heavenly geopolitical unit. Jesus says that mm. to Pilate. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my disciples would be fighting. Hmm. But they're not because my kingdom's not of this world. That's Jesus not Jonathan, like, and that's clear, you know? So, so that's one of the theological issues that can like make us venture in this direction. When we start equating particular nationalities, particular countries, particular ethnicities, mm-hmm. I mean, this, we can dip into the history of like white supremacy and stuff with all of this. And like, this yeah. is where the religious connection between white supremacy and the quote unquote Christian faith can come from. Um, it's this idea that we are the people of God, the race of God. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm losing my mind yeah. over here. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, but all of that to say, when you start drawing those connections, yeah, uh, you're very quickly going to head into a realm of political idolatry. Well, and as someone that just preached on and through the book of Revelation, I mean, wouldn't you say that it's pretty clear, right? I mean, there's a there's a lot in the book of Revelation that we're kind of like, uh, I don't know about this, or uh, this is a little unclear, oh, this could go a couple different directions, but wouldn't you say that it's clear that in Revelation there is a binary reality that's presented that at the end of all things you have the people of God, and you have Jerusalem, and you have Babylon. Which, 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 which is spiritual and, speech, by the way. Yes. Jerusalem there is right. not... The city that's located in modern-day Israel, like Jerusalem there, 
is a picture of God's new covenant people. Yes. And so, therefore, Babylon... Right, which is not literal Babylon city, resurrected. (laughs) It stands for all the worldly kingdoms. Yes. And so there's not the church, Babylon's, and then this third country that's kind of over here that God wants to continue and to bring into the new creation. Right, right. There's not this third category. No. Yeah. Um, the, and, and you can draw this back to Old Testament, too, to Daniel's dream. Um, uh, Daniel has, or excuse me, Nebuchadnezzar's dream that Daniel interprets. Nebuchadnezzar has the dream of the statue that's made of all of these different types of material. And, I mean, and a, a rock is cut out without hands and it crushes it and grows into a great mountain. Yep. And Daniel's interpretation of the dream is that's all the kingdoms of the world. Like that statue with all those different materials, that's all the kingdoms, all the countries, all the nations. Like, I'm not saying that there aren't kingdoms and nations that, uh, I'm not saying all kingdoms, we, we are not saying all countries are equally evil. There are definitely countries, kingdoms, political systems that cre- that cause horrid atrocities. There are others that do great work and all that. But what we're saying is none of them are the kingdom of God. Right, and they right. all fall in the category, including America, of kingdoms of this world. Right. And those will all pass away and be right. replaced by the kingdom of God. Right. And I think that theology forms us into people that don't hate America, but are able to look at the atrocities that it has committed in an honest way and not to brush over it or not to excuse it because Mm -hmm. we don't know how to fit that into this theology that we've constructed. Right. Well, it goes back to the ability to be able to critique something, right? Yes. So you got to be able to critique your own country and your own history, your yourself, your own family, your history. You got to be able to critique all those things, right? Right. Um and and so yeah, no, I completely I completely agree. Uh we should be able to talk. Uh I I don't have anywhere else in the world that I want to live. I live in America. I like living in America. I'm still here for a reason. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I don't have anywhere else that I that I'm like, man, I'd really like to be there, um, I, but I've got to be able to talk open and honestly about American history. Right, uh, I got to be able to talk open and honestly about um, the negative aspects of that, and I, I do get to be open and honest about the positive things that have happened in right. American history. Right, um, y- you've got to be, yeah. You, you got to be able to do that or you won't ever be able to get to a place of having real true dialogue. Yes. And I think if we can see our world through that binary reality that revelation presents, then we can see ourselves as witnesses to Jesus Christ in a Babylon like nation in so far as it participates in evil and corruption, which every nation does And we can have hope because our hope is not dependent upon the nation being more Christian or having Christian values. Rather, our hope is that no matter where the church is, no matter what country that is, we bear witness to Jesus Christ. That may mean suffering. That may be being ostracized. That may mean pushed to the fringes of society. We don't know what that's going to mean, but we know that Jesus is going to accomplish his purposes. And our primary concern is that people would come to know Jesus 
and that they would worship and love him. Not that people would pretend to be Christians because that's normal for the society or the country or that a certain country would persevere and continue as such. Our primary mm. concern is Jesus and his glory and his kingdom's advancement. Yeah, that's yeah. good. I, I am far, far more interested in the church being faithful to Jesus than I am in anything having to do with politics. I I made a statement during the Revelation series where I said something along the lines of, I would rather lose every political battle ever and remain faithful to Jesus than to compromise faithfulness to Jesus in order to win political battles. Mm, yeah. Um, like Even if that means like my, my candidate never wins, the party I hope for, the policies I hope for, whatever. Yeah. You know, I I would rather like you, you really want me to scare some people. We want to get real up Let's in here. Let's get real. Let's get real. Oh, Let's do it. Here we go. Oh boy, here I, goes our jobs. I would not. <laughs> I would rather remain Chris. faithful to Jesus if that means I'm going to end up living in something that's like, like name any horrid repressive regime that's ever existed. Mm. You know. I would rather, if remaining faithful to Jesus means that's where we're going to end up, I pick remaining faithful to Jesus. And once again, we would say this about any country. Right. Right? No matter where Christians are living. It's true for Christians everywhere around the world. And that's why I think it's so helpful is that you can take this theology, you can take this theology of uh, Christian political engagement, and you can take it to any country right throughout time and history if if your theology isn't global then you aren't dealing with christian theology you're dealing with something cultural Mm -hmm. because christianity is a global religion for all nations and all and not everything cultural is bad right there are things that we do there's types of music that we play that's cultural you know, it's not global; it's cultural. That's not a bad thing, but yeah. we recognize the fact we're we're not dealing with something that is like Christian mandated when we're talking about style of music. Now, the truths that we sing, sure. those should be global. Yeah, right. But but yeah, right. Hundred percent on board. Well, yeah. so um, that was all written down. That was all. Written <laughs> down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, I had said we were going to talk also about defining what we mean by the term "cult of personality," but we ain't got time for that. <laughs> um, maybe another time we'll uh, we'll come back and talk about that. Yeah. Um, but because uh, I I think we're at a good a good calling it point for this episode. I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation, gentlemen. Yeah, this was fun. I mean, we might yeah. all lose our jobs, but. <laughs> uh, no, I stand by it. I'm here for it. Yeah, totally. Well, there's one book that comes to mind as we were talking about just sort of American history and kind of grappling with a lot of those things. If anyone is interested in reading it, I read it last year. I know, I think both you guys may have read it. Um, Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. It's it's a historical account, uh, and it, it it's about basically looking at the history of like the church in America and, and basically America sins uh, with racism, white supremacy, uh, slavery. chattel slavery, yeah. uh, Jim Crow era. And so it kind of takes you through all of that. And because I do think it is important to grapple with with our history as a country. And 
I, because I think when you when you acknowledge that and you understand those things, it can lead to confession. It can lead to lament. It can lead to reconciliation. And so, but you have to do the work of realizing like where we, uh, you know, come from as a country. So that that's a great book that I highly recommend. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And it, you actually started mentioning, I, I just saw I left off the last thing I was going to say oh, about great. political idolatry. Great. Was, Here we go. How do we respond? Like our response should be different. Um, mm. And uh, and the things I talked about back in January uh, was lament, confession, petition, and thanksgiving. Uh, so lament, lamenting is exactly what John Mark was talking about, like being open and honest about our history and, and lamenting it. Um, yeah. and, and that includes... Uh, the church's history in the United States of America, not all of it's awesome. In fact, right. a lot of it is anti-Christian. Yeah. Um, you know, and so right. facing up to that, owning that, um, being honest about it. Um, yeah, so lamenting. Um, confession. Uh, confession not just involving um, uh, what we were talking about just then with like being honest about the past, but confession, being honest about the present mm-hmm. and being honest personally about the present. And, and what I mean by that is whether we're talking about political idolatry, whether we're talking about uh, issues of uh, racism and injustice, uh, white supremacy, whatever it is, it's always easy to look at those things as something that's happening out there with mm-hmm. other people mm-hmm. and it's their sin and it's their problem and it's not me and it's not my sin and it's not my problem. Mm. Um, and here's, here's the, I talked about this, uh, during a sermon. I don't remember when, um, but specifically racism, what's interesting to me about, uh, the historic and present, uh, sin of racism, uh, amongst Christians and myself included, Mm -hmm. um, is we talk about it different from the way we talk about almost any other sin. And what I mean by that is pick another sin, lust. I'm going to talk about lust as something I'm, – I'm not going to talk about it as something that I am completely done with, have total and 100% victory. It's never a temptation. It's it's like it's outside of me completely. Done with that, washed hands, moved on. Mm-hmm. That's true of every sin. Anger, you know, lying, truthfulness, like all, all of – like we'll talk about those things as, yes, we're experiencing victory over them and growing – but we also will say, yeah, but these things, I can find patches of them in my heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Racism, for some reason, we want to talk about it, and I have talked about it with myself in the past, for certain, as if I've I've gotten every speck of that out of my heart. Right. Like, mm-hmm. it's gone completely. Never stumble into that. Never. Yeah. And, and that's just not true. It's not true of any sin anywhere. We are susceptible to temptations that have to do with all of them, including elevating ourselves over other people because of ridiculous reasons such as race. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so confession, like confessing, I, I know that there are times when I elevate politics to a place they shouldn't be and being embracing that personal confession. So lamenting, confessing, petition. What I mean by that is simply praying, asking the Lord, Lord, help us, help us to have speech season with salt Help us to uh, speak with gentleness and respect. Point out my faults and failures. Help me to to be a faithful witness of your kingdom above all other kingdoms. Mm. Uh, and then Thanksgiving. Um, 
Thanksgiving like Thanksgiving is something that we hear little to none of in in our cultural conversation. So just thanking the Lord uh, for his forgiveness, for his grace, for his redemption, that his kingdom is advancing even when we can't see it. Um, yeah, so lament, confession, petition, Thanksgiving. I think that that's a starting place. I don't think that's all we do, but I think that's a starting place in response to these things. Yeah, totally. Well, it's so helpful. And as you were going through those, I was just reflecting on the reality that we are shaped by our daily practices, right? We talk about this so much, but I'm glad that we do. And we are shaped by the the media that we take in. We are shaped by the political conversations as they, they come to us. And if we are not people that are able to lament in our own life, if we're not people that practice grieving, that when there is some national event that is tragic, um, we'll be susceptible to being imme- for that to be immediately politicized because we're mm. not people that want to sit in grief right? and just acknowledge that a human life has been lost. Well, yeah. instead, instead of grieving, instead of having to sit in that pain and that discomfort, we'll go to an easy solution. Right. If we're not people that can confess and acknowledge that we've done wrong, that we've failed, then how are we able to do that when it comes to our politics? Right. Mm-hmm. We won't be able. We'll be defensive. Our identity will be in mm-hmm. being right. And that makes us feel okay about ourselves. But Christian confession constantly brings us before God, shows us our failures, shows us that we're wrong, and it leaves us in a place of humility. And then being uh, people that practice Thanksgiving, this protects us from cynicism. Mm. And so much of our political conversation is marked by cynicism. It's marked by sarcasm. I mean, we just have so much of that, Mm. right? And so often it gets clicks. And so often the video gets reposted on Facebook, but that doesn't allow us to have conversation with people that are different than us, right? Sarcastic jokes and cynicism does not um, start conversation that goes across the aisle. Um, But if we can be people that reflect on who we are in Jesus Christ, how secure we are in him, the hope that the church has no matter what country we are in or no matter what's going on around us, if we can be people that practice that, that practice all of these things, then I think we can be shaped and formed into people that can go into the political realm, the political conversations, and be the type of people that we want to be. The last thing I'll say, just to get nitty-gritty practical. Yeah, please. Like, like if you're thinking like, okay, how do I have a daily practice that shapes me that way, that's going to shape me to lament, confess, petition, thanksgiving, that's going to fashion me to do those things well. Yeah. Pray the Psalms. Yeah. Like, Like, I mean, we're in the Psalms right now. Totally. Pray the Psalms. The Psalms will shape you to do all of those things. Exactly. Exactly. That's so Man, good. that's so good. There are so many things that I have to say. I mean, I feel like <laughs> <laughs> well, that I want to say and we I know we don't we don't have We're time. <laughs> I'm trying to like put all my thoughts together and kind of bring out maybe what's most important. I mean, I think we need the Holy Spirit mm. in our lives to convict and guide us 
when these things are happening, like yeah, yeah. in our culture, in our in our country, uh, things of a political nature, things of a, a kind of on a level of race. Um, you know, last year, like just personally speaking, last year when the George Floyd murder happened, I think like the Holy Spirit hit me in a way with that particular instance that I don't think I had experienced before. And it was just this realization of like, um, I'm not going to be reactionary in this in this situation. What I need to do is I need to grieve because this person was created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And we need to grieve together that that a tragedy has taken place. And so many times, like what you were saying, is that we jump to the reactionary thing. It becomes politicized in some way. It becomes like I need to be partisan on on this thing that has happened. And as Christians, I think we need to approach it as, what is the Christian response? How would Jesus respond in this way? Can we grieve together as a community and a body? And that is something that that I've been working on personally over the last year or so. It's something that hit me uh, incredibly hard last year. Um, and, and really just, you know, with, you know, everybody knows, kind of is familiar with my story, but we've adopted our, our two boys and our oldest Moses, he's biracial, our youngest Zion, he's, he's uh, black. And so, you know, these are conversations that we're having in our household all the time as white parents raising two black children. And it, it, when we were, when you were talking about earlier, Jonathan, about just like personal, sense, you know, and kind of how we talk about this sin of racism in a different way when we talk about other sins. And it's like, I have two boys of color and that does not exclude me from biases that I may have Mm. that I have to work through in my life. And so Mm. we have to do the work, whether it's about race, whether it's about politics, like we have to do the work and we have to let the spirit lead and be guided by scripture and Mm. be, be guided by the word and, and, and just reach out to one another within our community. So, I mean, do the work, everybody, like, um, whether that's, you know, reading books, whether that's talking with people that you normally wouldn't have a conversation with on these matters. Maybe you've been hurt by somebody that has a different political viewpoint and you need to go to them and you need to reach out to them and say, can we just talk about this? I would love to just sit down and have a conversation. Like we, these are things that we have to do in order to, uh, you know, keep away from idolatry, political idolatry, indoctrination of a political party, like whatever it is. So that that would be my kind of big takeaway from today. Mm. Mm. Yeah, JM, that's so good. And, you know, in 2021, you're getting counseling, Brad Brown. It's just kind of where I'm at. <laughs> Here we go. In my master's program. But as you were talking, I was just thinking about how many conversations start with us feeling already angry just amped up amped up yes defensive and i think it's worth us taking a moment to pause take a deep breath mm. and to say okay why am i so angry yeah right now the, why am i starting this conversation at a 10 why mm. am i shouting at this other person why is this political conversation causing me to have so much hatred for my brother or my sister in Christ, why do I feel the need to 
tell them off? What is this telling me about my identity? What is this telling me about how I equate myself with this position? Whatever it may be, I think doing that is is so important. Yeah. Well, guys, I I've loved the conversation today. I know I know we we went long, but that's fine. I actually have to go to physical therapy now. I got to go see oh Beth. Beth. <laughs> All right. We're awesome. ended with Beth. We're ending with Beth. <laughs> Oh, well, awesome. That's good. Well, well I, I hope you all enjoyed this conversation, Brad. Were you going to say something? I was just going to. I was just going to say this is an open conversation, and so yeah. if you disagree with us, if you have any thoughts, email us at midweek at shadesvalley Email us individually. We would love to talk about it. We would love to hear your thoughts, to learn from you. So please don't feel like you can't be honest and open with us because we want to have a community at Shades Valley that can talk about politics <laughs> in the church. Should I say that? Oh. But I think we really do. And if we can't, I think once again, Counselor Brad, we need to ask why. Why can't we do this? What does this say about our relationships? So good. Well, thanks for listening. This has been another episode of Shades of Midweek.